I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, and welcome to Explaining History podcast. Um, thanks very much for listening. We are now, we've now busted through the 10,000 listener mark, so... Hooray, exciting times. Thanks for your guys' support. Um, Really, really appreciate it. Anyway, after that, a bit of a pat on the back, down to business. So today I want to talk a little bit about Germany in the 1920s, particularly after 1923. And if you've listened to the previous um, rather reluctant, arm-twisted podcasts I've done on Hitler, I think you know my opinions on this one. I think the guys talked about slightly too much, obviously important, very crucial 20th century figure, but um, a bit done to death. Um, but anyway, I've because I do history here, obviously, I've uh, talked in depth about his uh, career up to 1923 uh, and the um, failure of the Munich Putsch. And the um, period after that is very, very often overlooked in history lessons, I find, but it, there's something very crucial about it. So the period 1924 to 1929 is five years in which the fortunes of the Nazi party really take a nosedive. So what's happened in Germany? Well, we've had this period of um, tumult and unrest and revolution and counter-revolution from 1919 onwards. There has been um, a a new social democratic government, the Weimar government, has managed to fend off the perceived threat from the left by relying on the Freikorps, on the army, and on the the powers of conservatism uh, on the right, which are determined really to take back what they see as theirs. Eventually, uh, there has been a period of hyperinflation in 1923. It's been catastrophic for the German economy. Um, I say catastrophic for the German economy, but the the kind of the middle income uh, Germans, the, the the lower middle class, the Mittelstand, the uh, inevitably um, predominant Nazi voters, they're the ones that see their savings wiped out. The poor haven't really got savings anyway, so you know, it's neither here nor there to them eventually. And the the very, very rich are able to actually pay off loans with an inf- inflated currency very easily. So the embattled middle, where the Nazis gain most of their uh, support from, uh, they're the people that are devastated by hyperinflation. But by 1924, the uh, issuing of a new currency uh, and new international financial agreements mean that the economy starts to stabilise. 
The Germans had defaulted on their reparations in 1923, precipitating the French and the Belgians to occupy the Ruhr, the main coal-producing and industrial area in western Germany. And the result of this default and occupation uh, and the subsequent payment by the German government to the rural workers to go on strike is hyperinflation. The uh, problem that the Western Allies have is that in order to have any credibility with their populations, they need to get the, uh, the cycle of reparations going again. And the Weimar government spends much of its time not uh, trying to, well, trying to prevent a situation where the Western powers, Britain and France, are enraged enough to invade Germany. But because Germany obviously now has a skeleton army and is being demilitarized in quite an extensive way, but also they don't want to be in a position whereby they have to be they're seen by their own populations as pandering to the West, and uh, this is seen as a, a great treachery, uh, giving the Versailles powers what they want, and there are various Weimar um, politicians who are assassinated on this very principle. So it's a dangerous game for um, the Weimar government, Friedrich Ebert's government, to play. But the um, solution comes in the guise of the Dawes Plan, D-A-W-E-S. And the plan was devised by Charles Dawes, an investment banker who later goes on to become Calvin Coolidge's vice president and chair of the Reparations Committee, the Allied Reparations Committee. The solution that Dawes comes up with is widely credited as the uh, ideas, the package of ideas that gets Germany back on her feet. And they can be summarised really as the, uh, a, an agreement by the um, French and the Belgians to leave the Ruhr, thus um, enabling the, kind of the deadlock to end and the German general strike to um, come to an end. Um, a, a restructuring of repayments that would begin with uh, 1 billion marks in the first year, but that would go up to 2.5 billion marks um, after five years. So it was a way of making the um, not f the reparations not so much financially manageable, because they were, but politically manageable, uh, a way to uh, allow Germans to believe that their country was not being as excessively punished as once it was. Um, it, the, the Reichsbank was taken under Allied supervision and reordered, um, and particularly on, along American lines, which meant that American bankers were more keen to lend to Germany, and that um, the that this uh, resulted in an, an 800 million mark loan from America, which is um, the fact that it's an 800 million mark loan is interesting in that that doesn't even cover one year's reparation payments. Um, so uh, the the reparations, the, the, the actual loan that Germany gets is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not enormous. The uh, replacement of the, the Reichsmark with the Rentenmark uh, meant that the, the currency was stabilised, the gigantic reserves of uh, redundant currency could be got rid of, could be incinerated, and that meant that um, Germany became once again an, a, a more attractive place for inward investment. So by from 1924 onwards, things are starting to look up a little bit. Um, the only problem is that much of the Dawes Plan loan 
doesn't go so much into industry as rebuilding infrastructure as it does into a kind of an explosion of consumerism within Germany. The um, period from sort of about 1924 to 29 is seen as this kind of rather, rather glamorous, um, rather uh, exciting, exotic uh, episode in, in German history, particularly in Berlin. Berlin appears to be the centre of everything that's happening uh, socially and culturally uh, throughout the um, throughout the period, at certain periods of time, you know, it's thought that certain uh, certain cities capture an era, perhaps like uh, Rome in the nineteen fifties, but um, Ger- uh, Berlin in the nineteen twenties really culturally, artistically, and aesthetically is where it's at. You have all manner of uh, writers and intellectuals flooding there. People like the novelist Christopher Isherwood, the photographer Robert Capper, you have playwrights like Bertolt Brecht, you have uh, composers like Kurt Weill, and creating a, a very alternative culture. You have the art, the art and the architecture of the Bauhaus movement, um, now, for many ordinary Germans who don't live in Berlin, who are, have more provincial uh, outlooks and attitudes, this is really quite shocking. Um, you've got a whole generation of very satirical and very biting uh, artists, people like Max Ernst, whose shocking and darkly surreal artwork um, represented the, the trauma of the First World War and uh, the suggestion that really uh, class and uh, the exploitation of the poor by the Prussian elite were behind it. Well, this is um, these are very difficult things for uh, ordinary Germans to embrace. I mean, many did view the First World War as a shocking, horrific disaster, but the, the sense that um, Ernst was saying things which are deeply unpatriotic were, was rife amongst many more conservative perhaps slightly older Germans, um, who had already witnessed the political landscape being reshaped, the economic landscape of Germany being completely reshaped and many of them being impoverished, and now saw the culture of pre-war Germany being swept away and being replaced by this very exciting, modern, but also very alien uh, culture. Um, The uh, sharp lines and distinct... um, modern uh, aesthetic of Bauhaus and uh, the uh, artwork of Gropius and people like that was uh, completely alien to uh, a great many Germans who saw, uh, who hankered for a kind of an age of tradition, an age of order, a a more reassuring, familiar uh, world um, of conservatism. And in Hitler, they saw an opportunity to have that, to the, the restoration of something traditional. Um, Hitler himself was uh, a fancier of the arts, uh, quite a, a renowned Philistine um, and a terrible painter himself, but was um, a, a guy, a, a per, an individual, beg your pardon, who was um, very much uh, believed that uh, Germany's soul lay in its traditions and whilst the many of the kind of the aesthetics of Nazism were very modernist. The 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 Nazi flag is very simple, uh, black, red, and. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. 
Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny System, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny System with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Like with kind of sharp, geometrically designed um, structures within it, Nazism has always been this strange contradiction between the, um, the, the modern and the, and the past. And where Nazism periodically chooses to emphasise tradition and uh, order and what it views as being culture. The, this notion of culture is writ large within Nazism for its 12 years in power. And um, obviously Hitler was appalled at what he saw. Hitler is this, uh, from the uh, five years from 1924 to 29, is this very marginal figure. Um, as the economy is booming and there are cars on the streets and uh, good times and jobs again, there seems to be little need to look to the margins and to embrace this marginal figure whose extreme brand of German nationalism is treated as a, by the German bourgeoisie as something of a kind of an embarrassing joke. They, um, the uh, experience of Germany in 1929, uh, the Wall Street crash and mass unemployment and the four years after that, shatters this and the explosion in Nazi support really happens as a result of financial crisis. But that's a, um, a, th a thing for the future. But while we're here, um, there is a very interesting relationship between Hitler and places such as Berlin and the, um, the the countryside of Germany, where he thought really that the soul of Germany rested. Hitler looked upon Berlin, particularly in the 1920s, as degenerate and um, debased. Um, if you read the uh, Berlin Diaries of Christopher Isherwood, upon which the film Cabaret was later uh, based, things like um, a, a homosexual uh, subculture um, where gay and lesbian men and women could be out um, and not be uh, subject to kind of pillory and attack. Um, it was uh, quite thriving amongst the Berlin club scene, and this was known obviously to people like Hitler and the brown shirts, many of whom were, were gay themselves, um, and um, seen as, as degenerate and disgusting. 
the um, idea that the belief that Hitler had really was that um, there was something pure, honest, simple, noble um, about the the countryside, um, and that there was some kind of relationship. And this is later written, but in a very um, bizarre and offensive and insane book by Alfred Rosenberg, who is the chief kind of uh, ideologist or philosopher in giant inverted commas, really, of the Nazi movement. Um, this uh, he, he wrote a book called The Myth of the 20th Century, um, and in it uh, he wrote about this idea of blood and soil, of blood and burden, um, another ideologist, uh, Walter Richard Dare, um, who became the uh, agriculture uh, minister for the Nazis and later had plans to kind of radically uh, wipe out the British people if uh, he, if the Germans invaded the British Isles. He also was very passionate about this idea that um, people who worked the soil um, and lived in the countryside were the, the kind of the the genetic heart of uh, what it was to be German. And if you lived in the cities, well, the cities are cosmopolitan places. Cities are where you mingle with other races and you learn their ideas and you perhaps, you, you know, you have children with them and the genetic stock and the cultural kind of condition of being German gradually declines and declines and declines. The um, uh, phenomenon such as jazz, for example, um, was seen as deeply suspicious. This was a thing of the cities. This was a thing of Berlin in the 1920s. Uh, and what, what is jazz as far as the Nazis go? Well, it's, it is written by Jews and performed by Negroes, and therefore it's, a, it's a, uh, some kind of horrible conspiracy against the, the Aryan race. All this kind of madness. The thing about Berlin as well that uh, Hitler didn't like was that it was one of the centres of the uh, communist movement. It was, you know, viewed as being Red Berlin, and it never quite loses this. Even under the Nazis, uh, it's still there is still an, an active, uh, or well, far considerably less active, but existing left subculture in Berlin. So uh, once again, uh, the city's urban life and entertainment was viewed as being connected in some way with all this subversive stuff going on. Hitler had a, a belief about the um, new consumerism that seemed to have engulfed Germany in the 1920s, and he viewed it as really being um, the the weakening of uh, German, German martial spirit, that um, with the war that he hoped to bring about again uh, in Europe to resolve the issues of the last war, that there would be uh, no room for this kind of um, pampered living. Germans would need to know hardship again. This idea that you could simply have nice hand soaps and French coffee and uh, cigars and brandy and silk stockings and all these lovely consumer goods, well, the Germans would be made weak by that and that the Germans would not be prepared for hardship and struggle. And when um, Hitler begins late, much later on, his own um, rearmament uh, in the mid to late 1930s, austerity becomes an inherent part of that, and a kind of destruction of Germany's consumer industries, because this is um, good for the German people, for the racial destiny he sees them as being um, able to and responsible to deliver. Uh, so, yeah, so the uh, the cultural conditions within Germany at the time are not favourable 
to Hitler and not favoured by Hitler. So it's only really when the, uh, in 1929, when the Wall Street crash happens, that the fortunes of the German, of the Nazi party, are revived. And the 1920s are called by the Nazis their, their lean years, the, the hungry years, where they had uh, very little support indeed. The problem that Germany faces in 1929 is that it's obviously hit by this huge kind of cyclical sort of tsunami um, of the Wall Street crash. But its, it's flood defences, to extend the metaphor, aren't very well developed. Not only had inflation since uh, during and following the war uh, rotted part of the German uh, manufacturing base away, but the investment that came from America uh, and the subsequent loans that came from America, as I said, weren't sufficiently invested in industrial infrastructure to make sure that factories and businesses were competitive. Um, these Many of the key German uh, industries, um, that, for example, the chemical businesses that go up to make the conglomerate IG Farben, had been sufficiently battered by the Treaty of Versailles. One of the uh, clever tricks the Americans pull, really, is to get hold of the uh, patents for things like aspirin and fertiliser and other uh, chemical, um, fundamental you know, chemical goods that can be put on the market. And then they use their economies of scale to produce these um, you know, innovation, German innovations, far more effectively. Anyway, so just to, to wrap that one up, um, this period of um, you know cultural uh, cultural growth and experimentation um, of um, exciting uh, times, particularly for young, slightly left of centre Bohemian uh, Germans, um, really comes to an end in nineteen twenty nine, uh, and then a period of and a period of renewed crisis emerges from 29 to 33 and not only have the Nazi party been in um, uh, having had lean times during this period so have the communists uh, and the, the the brief move towards the center ground for German society ends here in 1929 and polarization begins once more so people start to flock to political extremes as the liberal democracy of Germany ceases to be able to provide meaningful political and economic answers during that period. Many of the kind of cultural ideas that Hitler has, which we'll talk about again uh, in the near future, um, oh, and you can also find out about some of these when, uh, if you go back to and look at the podcast I did on Hitler's plans for future Berlin. Many of the cultural ideas that Hitler had uh, were cemented by the experience of Weimar Germany. Uh, and his sense that what of the the kind of the monolithic, monumental and sort of uh, giganticist German culture that sh it should replace it comes about in that time period. Anyway, now if you found this interesting and useful, and you need to know more, there are two ebooks you can get. Uh, you can get Reaction, Revolution and the birth of Nazism, and you can click through onto the Explaining History, History website and get that. Um, that's going to be quite useful to you. That's all about the period uh, 1919 to 23. And then there's also my uh, e-book on, uh, on answers to the top 10 questions on Nazi Germany, 
which I think again you'll find really really useful um, but I suppose I would say that and uh, anyway um, I'll leave the links to those two ebooks uh, below this podcast and you can check those out and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast thank you bye bye hello this is Danny Pellegrino host of the Everything Iconic podcast and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory but boring is not Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.